Uh, don't we love our pastors? Let's give it up for them. We love you, pastors. Greg, Pastor Tamara, can't wait to see you back. You know, as, the, as God is using us, uh, moving here at the crossing and, and using us in the Tampa Bay region to reach people uh, for the kingdom, uh, our, pastors at, our pastors are at the, the tip of the spear, and sometimes they take hits. And, and you know, he, he's been going through surgeries. There's been just kind of attacks on their family. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, we had planned this uh, at the beginning of the year. Uh, the executive team met, and we talked about the fast that we did then, and uh, rolling back into the school year, we're doing another fast. We were actually supposed to start it earlier in August to finish it um, the first Wednesday of August, and uh, that way we, you know, it was done by then. But with, with you know, pastor surgeries and being out, we wanted to delay it so he could be back in the pulpit and back with us at that time. Uh, I met with him this week. He said, go ahead and, and let's do the fast. Let's move forward. Um, and, and, you know, so I, I really feel like for this fast, uh, there's two things we need to focus on. The first thing is um, we're going to focus on and we're going to ask God. We're going to bombard heaven and ask the Lord to dispatch warring angels to this region for two reasons. For two reasons. What, first reason is to heal and protect our pastor and his family. They've, they're undergoing attacks, there are attacks, but we're going to bombard heaven and God is going to dispatch angels because his word says, my angels are ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. And as men of God serve and they give, oftentimes they come under attack and, and, and they come under direct attack. And I believe the physical things they've been going through are some of that. So we're going we're gonna to go before the Lord, and he's just going to clean all this up and move them into another season that they don't have to deal with this kind of mess. And uh, the, the second part of the, the warring angels is to unseat the evil that has ruled over the Tampa Bay region for decades and probably even maybe even a century. But that God would unseat that and that, that it would make way, this is the second part, that God would pour out his spirit in this region in such a way that hundreds of thousands of people would be transformed by the power of God in this region. That we would see signs and wonders and healings and miracles and people being raised from the dead. That we would see an outpouring of his spirit that we've never seen before in this region. Those are the things we're going to be fasting about and asking the Lord to do in this region. Just those two things. That's what we're going after God for. You may have some personal things. That's up to you. It is a 21-day fast. And oftentimes that's referred to as the Daniel fast. And there are guidelines for a Daniel fast if you want to do that. Um, but there, you can do a, a, a modified fast of however you want to do it, if it's a meal a day or if it's a, you know, a, a full fast where you don't eat at all. Uh, just get with the Lord and talk to him about, okay, how do you want me to fast during this time? Now, fasting is food. It's not uh, you know, social media or uh, movies or anything like that. That's called self-discipline, <laughs> not fasting. <laughs> We should have that anyway. We should discipline ourselves not to be on social media for six hours a day. I'm just saying. That's a discipline issue, not a fasting issue. Fasting is pushing away from the table and away from food and going after God with everything in us and saying, God, I'm, I'm willing to sacrifice something to see you move on this area. And so that's what we're going to do. And if you want to sign up and be part of that and to get updates and all that kind of stuff, uh, please text FASTING to 313131. 
just fasting, not fasting with exclamation points or fasting with some smiling emojis or, you know, any of that kind of stuff. Just fasting, uh, text it to 313131 and you'll get updates as we go along. Now, we've been in the series when life gives you lemons. And we've talked about the lemons of fear and anxiety and, and time disruptions and, and the, the social uh, uh, this unrest and the, the reclaiming of the seven mountains, which Pastor Hector talked about last week, which is very vital. And the Lord is, had, I was praying about the message I have today, and because and, uh, it's a little different than what I normally do, but I, I, I felt like the Lord told me, you know, just like you prepare your house for when you're having a guest over for dinner, we are preparing the house for a visitation from the Holy Spirit and from God to, for God to move in our midst in a way that we've never seen before. So we're, we're putting things in place. And with the, with the Seven Mountains last week, I'll just give you an example. Uh, two months ago, I was on vacation. And part of my vacation, I take the first week, I take two weeks, first week with my family and the second week uh, with God. And, you know, I do some things with my family, but my, my main thing is I'm spending this week with the Lord. And during that time, he, uh, he spoke to me about the seven mountains. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, please go watch Pastor Hector's message. And, and, and organize. he spoke to me about organizing people to be able to go into those mountains and begin to bring the influence of the kingdom in those mountains to get people elected, to get people in place for, on the school board or in the school systems and, and all these different areas that we need to bring influence. And, and I, I felt like we got a directive. Well, I came back of a, off of vacation. Pastor was going out for a little while, so I, I decided to just say, okay, well, we'll wait till he gets back and we'll, we'll get that cranked up. Well, obviously, God spoke to Pastor Hector in the meantime because, truthfully, I just didn't have the time to spin that up. And last week, he issued a call and said, if you're, if you're willing to do that, please sign up. Well, over 70 people signed up to be part of that, to go into these mountains and bring influence in those areas. That's how God does it. That's how God does it. Yeah, give him a hand. He's, he's orchestrating things. I'm giving you a glimpse into how God is orchestrating a, a move of his spirit in this region. He is setting us up for an outpouring that we've never seen before. If you don't know what I'm talking about when I say an outpouring of God, I encourage you to go, go research uh, the Great Awakening. Go research uh, revivals of the past and see what you pull up on YouTube. Now, you might pull up some crazy stuff, but you'll also get the good stuff that's out there, and you'll see what God has done in the earth to transform regions. Now, my, my message today is on the lemons of relationships. How many of y'all have ever had a relationship go sour? Anybody? The rest of you ha either have no friends or you are just not telling the truth or you just ain't listening. Maybe you're on your phone playing Candy Crush or something. I don't know. But <laughs> so today I'm going to be talking about our responsibilities in relationship, to, uh, the responsibility of believers in relationships, the things that kind of divide us in relationships, how to overcome those things, and steps to reconcile relationships. We have a responsibility as believers to make sour relationships sweet again. That's our responsibility as believers. That's, God gave us the business of reconciliation. And you may not know what that means yet, but I'm, I'm going to explain it to you in just a minute. So let's go ahead and pray. God, I thank you for your presence. Holy Spirit, I ask you to lead this time. Help me to say what needs to be said and to not say what does not need to be said. And Lord, communicate to us your word. I command every 
ear to open, every heart to receive the word of God planted in you today in Jesus' name, that it would bear much fruit in Jesus' name. I bind away all distractions, and, and Lord, give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation that we may know you better in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, we, uh, I want you to remember this. Th I want you to remember this. It is my responsibility, not just mine, but it's your responsibility to lean into the chaos of relationships to bring reconciliation. It is our responsibility as believers to do that. Now, in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19, it says, Now, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. This is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not putting their trespasses on them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. He's given us the responsibility to deliver a word to this world to reconcile this world to him. Now, I know we all, we're all smart, we've been to school, and we, we know what reconcile means, but I want to give us a definition just in case, because I know what it meant, but I, I was like, I really want to know what, the, uh, what it really means. So I, I looked it up. It says, a renewal of friendships after a disagreement. That's a reconciliation. Then the second definition was the means by which sinners are brought into a favorable relationship with God. Now, I want to propose to you, before sinners can be brought into a favorable relationship with God, they must first be reconciled to us. Paul said in the Word, he said, follow me as I follow Christ. So our friends, our loved ones, those that we love and we care for and that we work with and we work out around and those kind of things that are not saved, that don't know the Lord, they will come to know the Lord through a reconciled relationship with one of us because we're supposed to be a light in darkness. We're supposed to be the salt of the earth, where we, where we uh, uh, salt everything around us, where we light up the darkness that is around us, where we bring light into people's lives that are, live a dark life. And by doing that, we become their friend. We become uh, you know, someone that they trust and they, they confide in, and then we can point them to Jesus, who then they get saved, and they're walking with the Lord themselves. And not just with the Lord, they're walking with you also. So it's a, it's a twofold thing. That's evangelism. And the Bible tells us we should all do the work of an evangelist. That's what the Bible tells us. That's, that don't mean you get you a soapbox and a speaker and you go stand on a corner and you start preaching. Because truthfully, if you stand on the corner over here, nobody's going to hear you because they're just driving by. So that, and that, that's, you know, I mean, some people may be called to that. I'm not. And from my experience of it, it's pretty much fruitless because I've done it and it nobody turned to Jesus through me telling them they was going to hell I don't know why I mean I would think that you know hey you going to hell they would want to turn to Jesus but they didn't they just wanted to hit me so I, I quit doing that <laughs> but let's see what God has to say about relationships I pulled out a list and the list is online so if you want to get the list you can jump online and do it or you can write it down you know when you write things down you remember more of it so but I might move too fast and, and if I do just you can jump online and get this list um, but there's a if you get in the Bible there's a much longer list I only have about 12 things here uh, that I'm gonna walk through and show you how what God how God deals with relationship I promise you, any problem you run up on in this earth, there is a scripture that will give you direction for it. The Bible says we have all things according to life and godliness through our knowledge of him who calls us out of darkness into his marvelous, marvelous light. That's his word. 
So we get in his word. So let's look at this. The first one, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.11. We, we are to build each other up. So we're to help encourage one another and build each other up. We're to help one another do things and help one another grow in Christ, grow in our lives, and grow personally. Colossians 3.13 says, uh, forgive each other as God forgave you. Do you know that the Bible says that if you don't forgive your brother who you've seen, that God will not forgive you and he will turn you over to be tormented? Some of us are tormented in life because we refuse to forgive those who have hurt us when Jesus is the one that forgave us of all the stuff we did against him. Forgiveness is a bit, I, we, could, we could preach weeks on forgiveness, but I'm not staying there today. I don't have enough time for that. So Hebrews 10, 24, 24 and 25 says, encourage each other toward good works. Encourage is the act of giving someone support. So we're, to, we're supposed to get involved in each other's lives and, and encourage one another on toward good works. But we live in a day and age now where people are so sensitive that they don't want anybody in their business. They don't want to have a real relationship because real relationships, there's a, there's a little bit of rub in them. You know, where, where if I see, you, if I'm your friend and I see that you are not doing what God called you to do, I can come alongside and I can encourage you toward good works. And if I'm encouraging you, that means your courage has left. And I need to instill more courage in you to press forward in the things of the Lord. The Bible tells us, Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, to encourage one another. Ephesians 2, I mean 4, 2 and 3, it says, hum, be humble, gentle, patient, and love, loving with each other. I mean, if we could just wrap that up and do it, we would be good. Uh, Exodus 20, uh, 12 says, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. And that promise is to have a good life. Honor means to highly respect your parents. You know, I, I, let me say it again. Honor your father and mother. I highly respect them because it's the first command with a promise, and that promise is that you will have good life. But we don't, we don't see that. And we live in a society today, we used, you know, you go back 50 years, 60 years, people with gray hair were honored. We looked up to grandparents and parents, and we honored them. But we live in a society today that seeks to kill its old people. In a society that wants to dishonor old people to say, say that they, they're irrelevant and they, they can't speak into where I'm at. They don't, know how, they don't even know how to use their iPhone, their iPad, or anything else, but yet they've seen 100 years of history and 100 years of lessons that we can learn from. But the truth is we're trying to scrap history so we don't learn anything from it, so we're doomed to repeat it again. The, the culture is, not us, but our culture is. Anything that causes us to dishonor our parents is of the devil, period. Children, uh, the next one's better. It's even better. It says, Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, children, obey your parents. <laughs> this says to complete, uh, what obey means, I know we all know what it means, but I'm going to help us give, give a definition. Comply with a command, direction, or request. It's just that easy. But how many times do we give direction to our children and then they, they give us lip back? Mm. I'm not going to stay there long because I'll get triggered and that ain't pretty for nobody. That ain't, pretty, that ain't pretty for anybody. But then it tells parents in Ephesians 6, 4, do not provoke your children to anger. 
So we're not to provoke our children also. We figure out how to live in this tension of training them and teaching them and not angering them and, 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 and teaching them how to honor us. But the truth is we reap what we sow. We can't badmouth our mom and dad and expect our kids not to badmouth us. Just a thought. Matthew 5, 24 says, he won't Do you know he won't accept a gift from you if a brother has something against you? Matthew 5, 24, look it up. He says, if you're at the altar bringing your gift and you remember somebody's got something against you, go make it right and then bring your gift back. He said, get up from the altar, go make it right. That's how much he cares about relationships. Ephesians 5, 25, husband, love your, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, giving, giving up all of my selfish, self-centered wants and desires to serve my wife. I'm here, I'm here to love her as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And then to the wives in 533, it says, respect your husbands. You know, <laughs> he tells the husbands, the loves, and the wives to respect because love is not a natural language for men and respect is not a natural language for women. I'll let you go dig that out. <laughs> I'm getting in trouble, I feel it already. I'm just quoting scripture. I'm telling you what's in the Bible. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Matthew, Matthew 5.25 says to agree with your adversary quickly. If you have an adversary, agree with them. That is totally contrary to what we, what we are taught in our, our society. We're taught to stand our ground, prove our facts, throw all of our facts out there, discredit the, what they're saying. If you can't discredit what they're saying, discredit them. That's what we're taught by our society. But the Bible says agree with your adversary quickly. Come into agreement with them. God cares enough about relationships. He goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 6, 7, and 8, why not rather take the wrong? When somebody is coming against you, why not rather take the wrong? So let me help you here. There's, when, and when, and I, I deal with a lot of conflict, and I've counseled quite a few people. I've been in ministry over 20 years. I've seen quite a bit. And, and the best way I know how to explain it in conflict is conflict and, and, and in relationships, it's, it's, like, a, it's like a pie. And, and each person owns a part of that pie. Now, the, the other person, let's just say, you know, me and my wife, for instance, my wife may own 90% of the pie, <laughs> and I own 10%. But I can take the high road, and y'all know that's, that's usually swapped, right? Like I own 90 and she owns 10, which is usually the truth. And, and, but anyway, no matter how much you own of it, if you own 2% of that, that problem, you, if you're in it at all, you own a piece of it. What you can do is you can take your piece and you can get 100% responsible for the entire problem. And then you can create some change. You can't create change trying to make the other person do something. Because the truth is, we can't even make ourselves do what we want to do. That's why we all joined the gym in January, and by February, we ain't hit it once. <laughs> I'm just saying, we can't even control ourselves. We might as well just quit trying to control everybody else because it's just not going to happen. Control is an illusion anyway. It says, why not rather take the wrong? Because when you take the wrong and you, you try to make it right with them, you take your part of it and you go to that person and say, you know what, I'm wrong. Please forgive me. It just, it lowers their guard, and then, then you can have good conversation, and you can heal the relationship. 
Now, the wrong way to do that is to go to them and, and say, there's this pie, and 10% of it's mine, and 90% of you're a problem. I'm not going to point fingers now, right now, but you're a problem. You're a real problem. And I need you to be responsible for all that, but I'm going to be responsible for my little bit here and, and you know, just poke them in the eye. You don't want to do that. That's not going to resolve anything. You walk up to somebody and poke them in the eye, I mean, it's going to make them mad. But if you take it and you, you get responsible for it, you can, you can solve something. Here's the thing, man. You can be right or you can be reconciled. It's completely up to you. And I, you know, I, I, I'm good not being right. I find out the older I get, the, the less right I am. When I was a young man, I was right about everything. Now I think I was just arrogance and pride, but, you know, we won't talk about me today. Or actually, we probably will in just a minute. So let's look at how Jesus dealt with, with, with relationships. That's what we want to model our lives like, right? Like Jesus. Jesus left heaven. So you look at the Old Testament, there was a bunch of laws put in place. There was a bunch of, you know, hoops for us to jump through as the people of God. And, and we had to live up to these standards in order for us to have a relationship with God. And we really couldn't have a direct relationship anyway. Only the high priest could go before the Lord once a year. And we had to sacrifice all these bulls and goats and, and turtle doves and all this stuff just to stay you know, right with God. But we couldn't have a real relationship with him. Jesus stepped into history and said, you know what? I'm going to go to earth and I'm going to walk among them. I'm going to step off of my, my majesty and I'm going to go to earth and I'm going to walk among the people so I can understand their struggle. And after I understand their struggle, then I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to take all of their sin so that we can, ha we can have a relationship with them. That's what Jesus did for us. He left everything that was his, came to earth so that we could now have a relationship with him. He answered all the principle in order to have a relationship. But oftentimes what we do as believers is, is we, we stand on principle and we break relationship. Before I get to that, I, I do want to go through this right here. I want you to remember this. It's, it is our responsibility to lean into the chaos of relationships and bring reconciliation. It's our responsibility. The Bible gives us how we should act. If, uh, the Bible is a wonderful book. If you've never read it, you should read it. And the truth is 23% of Christians read their Bible. That's, that's kind of scary. Christians. So I encourage you to read your Bible. Be part of the 23%. Because it's a great book. It really teaches us how to live. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. And that's statistically speaking. I know you're the cream of the crop because you're here even in the face of COVID and all the, the stuff. So you're the cream of the crop. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about your neighbor. So just help your neighbor. <laughs> in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, it says, that if we live this out, all of our relationships will be fantastic. Love endures with patience and serenity. <laughs> I don't know when the last time I was serene. I, I need serenity sometimes. Well, and when I'm in the presence of the Lord, I am. I'm kidding. I, but anyway, love is kind and thoughtful. It is not jealous or envious. Love does not brag and is not proud or arrogant. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not provoked nor overly sensitive or easily angered. 
Let me say that one more time. It is not provoked nor easily sensitive, nor overly sensitive or easily angered. Some of the Christians I see on Facebook that have taken these political stances and they're overly sensitive and easily angered need to look at this scripture because we ain't loving people. It does not take into account of a, wrong, of a wrong endured. So if you do me wrong, I don't count it against you. It does not rejoice in injustice, but rejoices with the truth when right and truth prevail. Love bears all things, regardless of what comes, believes all things, looking for the best in each other, hopes all things, remains steadfast during difficult times, endures all things without weakening. Love never fails. It never fades nor ends. I could put the mic down because if we could live that, every relationship in our life would be perfect and there would be hundreds of people coming to the Lord through our lives because we're loving people well. The Bible tells us that, that a hallmark of the disciples in the New Testament, it said that people knew them, knew that they were Christians because of how they loved one another. You know, you look around Christendom in America, and it, it's, it's something a little different. You know, we can't even agree on, on the color of carpet, and if we don't, then I'm going to leave the church. You know, you got denominations that draw up boundaries and, and sever relationships because of principles, which is not what Jesus did. You know, Christian people have stood for a long time on principle and broken relationships over that, which is not what Jesus did. The enemy has figured out a kingdom divided against itself will not stand. I know well-meaning uh, Christian parents who love the Lord and raise their children in church, and when their children got to an age that they could go out and make decisions on their own, they started living a lifestyle that was not God, not godly at all. So the parents ch would choose to sever relationship over principle, but what they've done is they've cut that child off from e ever hearing an encouraging word from the Lord. It happens. We sever ties with brothers and sisters because they don't, they don't live by the standard we live by. We sever ties with cousins and old friends because they posted something on Facebook that we couldn't look at or didn't want to look at or got mad about or it, 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 it's not my, my pious Christian way of thinking. Well, no doubt it's not that because they're sinners and sinners sin. That's what they do. They sin. But if... If we're not there to give them some hope, then who is? If we're, not, if we're not strong enough to love them out of where they're messed up at, who will? Nobody. It got quiet. I'm going to move on. I liked it when y'all were laughing better. <laughs> let, me, let, me, let me stand on this for just a minute because it is our culture right now. You see so many people divided over politics right now. Let me tell you something. We are not, we are first and foremost, if you are a believer, you are a child of the kingdom of God and you are a citizen of the kingdom. Secondly, secondly, if you are a citizen of the United States, you are a citizen of the United States, secondly. And thirdly, you are part of some political party. And I don't care what party it is. No party is telling com complete truth and we're being worked by other people. I promise you. Now, there are parties that, that do try to line up a little more biblically, but, you know, they're not all there anyway. 
And here's what could happen right now. I could make a political statement and divide this room right now. But if we allow our political affiliations or our affiliations with a country to destroy our kingdom relationships, we're out of order and probably sinning. If a political affiliation can determine what, what body I'm connected to in the kingdom, I'm out of order. And I'm not going to go much longer on that because I'll dig myself a hole and make all y'all mad. I don't want to do that today. I love y'all. But, but we, we have to quit dividing as believers. We have to, we, the enemy is great at showing us, hey, here's where you're divided at. Why don't y'all fight about this? No, let's not do that. Let's not give in to that bait. It's a bait of Satan that he loves to bait us into arguments with one another. Why even go there? Let's focus on what we agree on. And that's people are lost and dying and going to hell and need to be saved and set free and empowered with the word of God. The Bible says in Romans 2, 4, it says, or, or, do, you not despise, or do you despise the riches of his goodness? Talking about God forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads to repentance. It is God's goodness that leads to repentance. It's not his condemnation. It's his goodness, his kindness, and that's shown through us. So I'm going to talk about just a few topics of the things that divide us. I'm going to talk about three different areas because over the years I've seen that these are some of the biggest areas that divide us. And then we're going to talk about how to not do this. So that would, that would be great if we could not do it. One is unmet expectations. And the reason expectations go unmet, and what, that, what I mean by unmet expectations is if I'm in a relationship with you and I, I have an expectation, I expect you to, to meet this standard in our relationship of communication, of you know, us, us hanging out, us doing stuff, or you know, if it's a marriage, then I expect you to meet this level of, of, of everything and all you meet is this down here, well, this area right here is unmet expectation and could cause me to get frustrated and angry, and, and then we could be at odds, and we could begin to fight and bicker and all that kind of stuff. But I found out, you know, oftentimes unmet expectations become, come because they're unspoken. We don't ever speak our expectations. Or we have unrealistic expectations. You know, <laughs> I mean, an expectation that, you know, I'm ever going to be shredded with an eight-pack is out the window. It's not going to happen. It's just not. I mean, that's unrealistic. I, I could, I, it's just not going to happen. I'm glad my wife don't have that expectation because she would be sadly disappointed. Um, but <laughs> And sometimes expectations are ignored. We ignore expectations. And, and we all do this. I, don't, I, don't, I, I know none of your other husbands do this, but your wife will yell from the other side of the house, hey, can you do this? Yeah, yeah give me a minute. And that minute never comes. <laughs> we just need to repent on that one. But all right, the next one is selfishness. Selfishness. Now, selfishness is one of the biggest problems that we have. We are a selfish society. And basically, you can wrap that up in a me first mentality. Me first. As long as I get mine first, I might do something for you. You do for me, and I'll do for you. That should never be part of a relationship. That, that's part of a contractual agreement that we have with Verizon. And I don't even like Verizon. <laughs> if I pay my bill, then they're going to give me service. That's a contract. That's not a relationship. 
We shouldn't even do that, but it's a me first. You give me what I want. You give me what I want. It's a me first mentality. The me first mentality always has to be right. It always has to win. It always has to be the one that's, that's calling the shots. It's entitled. That, that selfish mentality is entitled, meaning, and what entitlement means is that I am entitled to something. Like, you owe me something. You owe me. Not that I owe you, but you owe me. You know, people who are selfish often exaggerate their input into a relationship and underplay the other person's input into the relationship. We judge ourselves by our intentions and the other person by their actions. That should be flipped. We should judge ourselves by what we do and others by what we think their good intentions were. They don't listen to those who disagree with them. They use people and don't give back. What can you do for me? And as soon as you can't do anything else for me, I have no use for you. A selfishness, self-centeredness. The next one is fear. Now, I'm going to talk about some fixes in a minute. I know I'm just I'm pointing out a lot of problems, and anybody can point out a problem. The next one is fear, and, and this is one of the things I learned about fear early on in life. I used to fight. I used to do things in this world that, that just weren't right because I didn't know Jesus. And, but even when I didn't know the Lord, I knew when I was about to fight someone that fear is right here in the middle. And if I take control of that fear and I intimidate my opponent, I've already won the fight. That made me the predator and them the prey. That mentality still continues with fear in relationships where there is a predator and then there is a prey. And the predator often, they, they have this need to control people and control situations and, and criticize. So they, they'll do it in certain ways. They'll They'll find ways to control things, and when they can't control it, they'll, they'll, they'll lapse over into some behavior that causes fear in the other people, like criticizing others. You know, finding problems with them and pointing those problems out and, and criticizing them. Insults and humiliation. Accusations of, of intent. Saying, well, you know, you did this, so it means you're thinking this and acting like this and doing that. And it's, it's a pointing out the shortcoming of others and, a, and you know, and, and when all that doesn't work, we, they, they'll, they'll fall into that place of a physical threat, meaning that if I can't move you with my attitude and my control, then I'm going to move you with my hand. It's predatorial, and it's fear. It's all it is. It's fear. Fear has one that's a predator and then one that's a prey. And the prey will often recluse. The prey will often recluse and and not talk about their feelings and not talk about what's going on inside of them and not talk about how, they, how that made them feel and, and they'll just bottle it up inside and, and, and then they'll begin to give the cold shoulder to the, to the predator and just give them the cold shoulder and push them away because if I can push them away and put up my guard, then I don't get hurt as bad. And they, they have these feelings of not being good enough or feeling rejected. Or, and so they fear saying no when the person asks for something. They, they don't say no, they just, and they take on way too much, and then they end up failing at all of it because they've taken on way too much because they scare, they're scared to say no. They feel all alone and trapped somewhere, and, and they can't sleep at night. They have insomnia and bad dreams, and it's all based in fear. But God did not give us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. 
And we can get victory over the fear. Remember, predator or prey or wherever you fall in this, it is your responsibility to lean into the chaos of relationships and bring restoration. And sometimes you do have to include, in the situation I just explained, you may have to include a third party to help bring healing to the relationship. But you can't be quiet. You have to lean into the chaos. And this is how we overcome those areas. We use the scripture. So if you have unmet expectations, this is what you do. You believe all, you believe all things. We put 1 Corinthians 13 in play. We believe all things. We look for the best in each other. So if, if somebody doesn't meet my expectation, I don't look at them and judge them by their actions. I judge them by what I think their good intent is. Oh, well, they meant to do it. You know, they meant, they meant to, they meant to you know, do whatever I asked or do what I expected. They just, they just missed it. They meant to. I believe that about them. Hopes all things. Remain steadfast during difficult times. I, I hope that it will improve. Because fear sets in when, when we believe that nothing's going to change. That it's always going to be this way. But there's another system that God has in place. And that's love. And love changes everything. His kind of love. Not the kind of love that the culture defines. What the Bible defines. And I want to say this, that the Bible is the word of God. There, there are a lot of people in Christendom who, don't, who just believe it's a bunch of good stories that have some principles in them. No, it is the word of God that will transform your life. And I want to say that out loud, and I want you to hear it. It is the word of God. And it will change every situation in your life. I promise you, I've watched it change my life tremendously for the last 20-some-odd years. I lost count. I don't know. I'm, I'm getting old. <laughs> well, no, I am, I, I'm getting wise. That's, that's what I'm getting. Old or wise. One of them. But anyway, so in unmet expectations, we, we choose to believe the best of the other person. Then we sit down and we do something practical. We set up rules of engagement with each other. We set up boundaries for our relationship and how we're going to relate to one another. Because if you and I are in a friendship and, and you do something that angers me and I don't say anything about it and you just keep doing it, well, it's wrong of me to just sit back and let you keep doing it when you think it's just having fun and I, it's making me angry. Because what's, what's going to happen sometime soon is our, our relationship is just going to drift because I'm going to quit taking your calls, quit taking your texts, quit talking to you. I'm just not going to talk to you anymore. I'm just going to remove myself from you. That's not right, and that's not what God says. We have to speak up. You know, that old thing, if you see something, say something. you got to speak up. you got to say something. you got to say, hey, man, when you do this, it makes me feel like this. I'd appreciate it if you'd stop. And any friend is going to say, man, I'm sorry. I didn't realize that, man. I was just having a good time. I was just, I was just laughing. Because sometimes we give voice to, voice to things that we should never give voice to, and we don't intend to hurt people, but it hurts people. And if we hear back, oh, that hurt me, then, you know, the person won't do it anymore. But if they say, well, I don't care how you feel, well, you probably need to get away from that person. I mean, just saying. You can love them from a distance, but God never called you to be beat up and abused all the time unless he did, and he'll speak to you directly about that being a martyr, that kind of thing. But that's a different thing than I'm talking about today. But you set up boundaries for the relationship. Man, I start down paths and I just keep talking. I, I just need to get back on my path. Permission to confront. You ask for that in a relationship. Permission to, to confront. How we're going to deal with issues. 
You know, the worst way to confront a situation is in, in, in public. You know, when someone does something, man, you, sh you just shut up, man. You're stupid, you know, to come back at it. You shouldn't say that in front of other people. You're confronting things in, other, uh, in front of other people. You always confront privately. That's where it carries the most power. And it exposes things and brings it to light. And this is what you can ask yourself for clarity if you're just under this, under this having unmet expectations. Did you clear, clearly communicate what you expected? Did you? Was their intent malicious to just not do what you asked? The next thing is selfishness. Selfishness. We go back to 1 Corinthians 13. It is not rude. Love is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not provoked nor overly sensitive or easily angered. It does not take into account wrongs endured. My God, if we could just embrace that as a nation, it would be awesome. Breaks down to one thought. Choose the other person first. You know what? Instead of me going first and me, be, me being first, how about you be first? How about, hey, hey, what would you like? You know, just that simple. Let them go first. Let them choose. Let them have their input. Let them have their influence. Let them say what they need to say. Let them win. What is it going to hurt if you let somebody else win? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Maybe your ego, but maybe you need to get rid of that anyway. And the last one is fear. How do we overcome fear? The Bible says perfect love casts out fear. It also says in 1 Corinthians 13, it says uh, love endures with patience and serenity. Love is kind and thoughtful and is not jealous or envious. That's what love is. So we have to, when, when we encounter fear, we have to speak up and we have to talk about it. Because when you bring fear to the light, it loses its power. And God did not give us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. You can't truly love someone without a sound mind. You got to be vulnerable. And a good question to ask here is, am I trying to control the person? And if the answer is yes, then there needs to be repentance. And the other, on the other side of it is, am I allowing intimidation to determine how I act? And if the answer is yes, then there needs to be a conversation with the other person. Remember, it's my responsibility to lean into the chaos of relationships and bring restoration. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19, and I'm landing the plane here, so you're almost done. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was, was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not putting their trespasses on them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. It's up to us to bring reconciliation. You know, I, I talked a little bit about po politics earlier and, and I, so I, had, I had a conversation this week with a, with a good friend of mine who, who's a pastor, and, and you know, so he, he, he said to me, he said, um, um, I think I might lose my relationship with my brother. They're on two polar ends of the political spectrum. And so I asked him, I, you know, I asked him about it. He said, well, you know, we're, we're on two complete opposite ends of, the, of politics, and every time we, we get together, it, it, we talk about it, and we... It's gotten to such a bad place that I don't, I don't know that, 
and I don't want it to be there, I don't, but I don't know how to stop it. I don't, it just, he, he starts poking and he starts prodding and he starts, you know, trying to provoke me and, 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 and then I just jump right into it and we're going at it and it just isn't good. Let me tell you something. If we put 1 Corinthians 13 in play and we have the conversations, we can mend the relationships. So I talked to him. I said, man, you need to, you need to have a conversation with your brother. Not about politics. Just, just sit down and have coffee with him and say, look, man, I love you more than this issue. And if we never have to talk about this issue again, I'm good. I don't have to control you and prove you wrong, and you don't have to control me and prove me wrong for me to love you. And I promise you when they have that conversation, there'll be healing in the relationship. A lot of us need to have that conversation. You know, I, I have to remind myself, I'm not preaching from some ivory tower up here saying I've, I've attained it all because I haven't. I'm still, I'm still, I still struggle. I'm still a man. <laughs> I'm still a man from the deep south, so I get provoked. I own a lot of guns and I drive a big truck. <laughs> but... but But I, 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 I'm a quandary to some people because I have, I have beliefs on, on both sides of the political aisle that we should accomplish. And I believe that God has called us to stand in the tension of that. To not choose sides, but to stand in the tension of where there's chaos and division and help bring unity and peace. That's what he's called us to. He's not called, called us to incite riots. He's not called us to incite other people to be angry at other people. That's not what we're here for. We are here to love people. And we're here to help people find their way to Jesus Christ. I'm going to give you some steps to reconciliation. This is online also. You can access the notes on, the, on, the, on, the, on our website. The first one is you've got to own your part. There's some relationships you need to go reconcile today. And you need to own your part. And don't try to make them own their part. I don't care how minuscule you think your part is. I promise you it's bigger than you think it is. I promise you. I always think I got the 10%, but when it's all over, I realize I'm the 90. Own your part. Own it. Repent of it. Then you go to them. Number two, step two. Go and ask forgiveness for your part of the rift in the relationship. I want you to get somebody in mind right now. Holy Spirit, I ask you to bring somebody to everyone's mind right now. In the building, online at South Shore, at Plant City. God, bring someone to mind that they need to mend a relationship with. So the second part is you, you go and you have the conversation. You ask forgiveness for your part. Don't do this over text. Don't do it over email. If you got to do it electronically, like they're in another part of the country, do it. Do FaceTime. Do something where you can see one another. Don't try to dodge it. Own it. You grab hold of that thing and own it. You'll see God restore something. I promise you. I promise you. Ask them. Once you've asked them to forgive you, ask them, what can I do to restore this relationship? And listen to them. And then do what they ask you to do. As long as it's not sin. We don't want to sin or do nothing crazy. But 
And then the last step is live 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8. Love endures with patience and serenity. Love is kind and thoughtful. It is not jealous or envious. Love does not brag and is not proud or arrogant. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not provoked nor overly sensitive or easily angered. It does not take into account a wrong endured. It does not rejoice at injustice, but rejoices with the truth. When right and truth prevail, love bears all things regardless of what comes, believes all things, looking for the best in each other, hopes all things, remains steadfast during difficult times, endures all things without getting weak, and love never fails, it never fades, and it'll never give out, ever. So your homework is to find someone that you've broken a relationship with and mend it. If you remember that you have, your brother has ought against you, you may have done nothing that you, in your mind. If your brother has ought against you and leave your, leave your gift at the altar and go, go make it right and then bring your gift back. Bring it back to the Lord. There are those of you in this room today and maybe online or, or at South Shore or Plant City you don't even know Jesus Christ. You don't have a relationship with him. And this is your first experience in a church or, or maybe even talking about a relationship with God. But Jesus left his majesty in heaven to come to the earth, to walk among us and understand our problems and our struggles and our, the things we fight against and the things that hurt us and harm us. And, and not sinning at all, he went to the cross and he took the weight of our sin and he gave his life for it. And he gave his life so you can be free of it. All you have to do is confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and the Bible says you will be saved. So I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. Everybody bow your heads real quick. We're all gonna say it out loud. Dear Jesus, I confess that you are Lord of my life. I believe that God the Father raised you from the dead and you changed my life. I ask you to change me. Be my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Every head bowed, every eye closed. In the room, online, Plant City, South Shore, if this is your first time praying that prayer to give your life to Christ, I'm going to count to three. And I just want you to slip your hand up. We're not going to embarrass you. We just want to give you a card where we can connect with you and help you start your journey with Jesus. We want to bring you in to be part of the family. So when I hit three, I just want you to hold your hand up and keep it up if you gave your life to Christ. One, two, three. Lift your hands. Come on. Come on, lift them and keep them up. I saw one, I got you, I got you, I got you. Come on, is there any more? Keep your hand up. I got people coming to you with a car so we can connect with you. I got you. Oh, y'all give it up, man. Don't just pitter-patter, man. That's, that's awesome. Lives are being changed right now.
So if we could all just stand to our feet for a minute, we're going we're gonna to worship for just a minute, and Pastor Jeremy will be right back out.